Good evening. We're going to turn to John 6. Uh, that will not be any surprise to you anymore since that video. Thank you, David, for leading us as well and for the guys uh, here. And we're going to be looking at this uh, wonderful sermon that Jesus preached in John chapter 6. That was a great little video and uh, great fun as well, but really touched on the main points, really, of where we're going tonight. And that's okay. Uh, we, uh, that is helpful as we set ourselves up for this as well. So John 6, I'm going to take some time to read. We're going to read quite a lot tonight. We're going to read from verse 22, and we're going to read right on to uh, verse uh, 71, which brings us to the end of the chapter. So strap in and get your Bibles open, and let's... Read God's word and enjoy this as we go through this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that they, or there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had been eating the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Which is the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never, th never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. <clears throat> For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, is, this, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, 
And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they will be all taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the, for the life of the world is my flesh. <clears throat> the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so Whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the, is, is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is God's word. And uh, we ask that he will bless it to us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the accounts <clears throat> written in the Gospels, which we can see and read your son's very words, and we can see him on these pages. And we pray that this evening we will see more than that. Lord, that you would uh, show us Christ. Lord, that we tonight would see him, maybe as we have maybe never seen him before. That we would see his plans and purposes and all of his um, ministry, even in this chapter, chapter 6. 
And may our hearts be enlarged as we uh, grow in our affection for Christ. And may those who do not know Christ, those who do not know the bread of life, may tonight come to know him and to know that satisfaction that only he brings. And so Lord bless us as our uh, time begins to study this now. Lord speak, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is probably one of my favorite. I say this probably about lots of different passages and probably you're thinking this guy's contradicting himself. I always say one of my favorite because there's so many. And John 6 has always been very special to me from years ago when I studied it in uh, more depth in my own study when I was preaching it years and years and years ago. And for me, really, it was a passage where maybe for the first time and maybe one of many, one of a few times maybe where you go very deep with Christ because you see him on the page and you see something new about his character. This morning we talked about being renewed in our mind and we talked about how to do that and how we need to continue to know and seek and think upon who Christ is and about his grace and his mercy and heaven and that helps us to renew our mind. And that is my prayer again this evening. That would be the case for us. But before we get to John 6, and before we uh, look at the passages that we read, and don't worry, we'll not be doing it verse by verse. We'll be here for a long time. Today we want to take a slightly larger arc in, my, in John 6. But before we do that, what we need to know is why, why does John write what he writes here? Why does he write the gospel at all? And thankfully, John actually gives us the reason why he writes this book. You only have to turn to chapter 20 of John, and you can do that if you want to, and look at verse 31. And right there, he shows us and tells us why he has written these things. And it's very simple. He says this, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John has that goal in mind, and he writes by the inspiration of God everything that we have seen tonight and all the rest of the book. But before we get there, I want to say that this book does have two underlying purposes. It is primarily, as John said, about telling the masses the great truth of Jesus, but it has another point as well. It is about defending and declaring that this is the true God-man, Jesus Christ himself. That's John's aims. It has an evangelistic, this is Jesus, look at him. But also a defending who Jesus is. Well, the video helped us to give us a little context about what happened just prior to this sermon that Jesus preaches. And we see in verse uh, 22 to 24... The feeding of the 5,000 is now over. And Jesus has walked on water across the lake to the other side. And a great crowd has followed him there. That's not unusual for Jesus. He always seemed to have a crowd tagging on behind because they wanted to follow him. And so that's what's happening here. However, once Jesus and the disciples, his close disciples, and then this these, this crowd, which Jesus calls disciples as well, once they all arrive on the other side of the lake, we begin this 
discourse of Jesus as he shares about who he is, or at least begins to show them who he is. And so we begin really, I suppose, in verse 25 and verse 26. You can imagine the picture of Jesus standing with this great crowd in front of him. And it says in 25, when they found him on the other side, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. You ate your fill of loaves. See, this verse indicates, doesn't it, right at the outset, the intention of the crowd. The intention of the crowd. The crowd were following Jesus, not because he just fed, what, 5,000, maybe 10,000 people plus. No, because they wanted to fill their stomachs. They didn't want that spiritual food, which was on offer, but they desired that physical food, which they enjoyed just that night before. And there's a lack of understanding here, isn't there? A lack of understanding of who Jesus is. I know it's early in his ministry. And there's a lack of understanding of what they really need. You see, no desire for a deeper understanding or a greater commitment to Jesus and his cause. Nothing like that here. Purely a crowd after material gain. And so Jesus in verse 27 says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. You see, with this statement, as Jesus begins to speak to these people, Jesus begins also to reveal exactly who he is. He begins to show them these spiritual realities. And he wanted them to see it. That was his desire. Those who followed him would understand who he is and understand why they're following him. And he was saying that there are two kinds of bread. That's what he says in verse 27. Did you notice it? You have a material bread that perishes and a spiritual bread that lives eternally. You see, the Jews, they thought, many of them, that works, for instance, circumcision, would gain favor for them in the eyes of God. But how wrong they were. They didn't fully understand what this new king who they'd been waiting for what he was going to be like and what he had on offer. They thought their works would help them to gain favor in God's eyes, but they were wrong. You see, food perishes, doesn't it? You go shopping. You're going to go shopping this week, probably, or get your shopping delivered anyway. You go shopping, and after a few days, either the food's gone. You've got someone like that in your house. Our little Annabeth is like that at the moment. Anything, although she's the fussiest eater, anything... uh, that she likes in front of her, it's gone in a a second. You might have someone like that in your house. It's either gone in a few moments, in a few days, or it's gone off, and it's no good for consumption. Food perishes. Jesus says there's different food, spiritual food on offer, which leads to eternal life. And that food does not come by our own works, but it comes from Christ and him alone. And so Jesus elevates the people's defective views right at the outset. Look at verse 28 and 29. They said to him, what must we do 
to be doing the works of God. See, this works faith. This works based faith in thing going on here. And Jesus answers them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who has, whom he has sent. What was Jesus really saying here? Well, he's simply saying this to this crowd as they listen, who are in probably many ways partially blind to who he is. He's saying, you need to trust wholly in me. There is no physical work for you to do that you can do, but believe and trust in Jesus. Suppose you're uh, inviting someone over for a meal at your house. Maybe let's call it Sunday lunch, okay? It's a great meal. You really put on the spread. You fix your guests' favorite meat just the way they like it. There's a big tossed green salad, steaming roast potatoes, veggies, gravy. If you haven't had your tea, then you're going to get very hungry in a moment. Gravy, peppered sauce, if it's beef, maybe, and a refreshing beverage, and then a delicious apple pie for dessert with either cream or ice cream or hot custard. What a dinner. And soon everyone is sitting back in their chairs, holding their tummies, satisfied. I have a tummy to do that because I'm... I'm have a dad bod now as well, so that's, that's what you get. When you get 30 plus, watch out. Holding your tummies and satisfied with the meal. And then a little later, after the afternoon's over, it's time for your guests to leave. And as they head out towards <coughs> the front door, they take out their wallet and they say, how much do we owe you for this? And you probably and hopefully respond saying, you don't owe us anything. What if your guest responds, we certainly do. We're not freeloaders. We're not scavengers. We're, you know, we're here and we want to pay you something. How much do we owe you? They even try to throw, try to throw a couple of 20 pound notes at you. How do you feel as the host? How do you feel as the host? Well, just the mention of payment for a meal, you carefully and lovingly prepared, you would likely be insulted, wouldn't you? You would. What's my point here? Well, my point is this. Although in, insulted at the very idea of guests paying for lunch, a lunch that you lovingly prepared. Yet, some of you find yourselves going through life trying to pay for a free meal and in the process, insult the Lord. And Jesus in verse 29 says this, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is a free gift of God, this bread of life that he sent <clears throat> to redeem and save his people. And yet there are so many in this world who don't see it and work and work and work <clears throat> to try and make their way into favor with God. 
How insulting. As God has put on the greatest of meals in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, this bread of life. And yet this crowd here also are standing and trying to ask, how? How do they get this bread of life? What works do we need to do? He's saying that. You don't need to give anything. You don't need to do anything. You can't do anything for your, your salvation. Christ has done it all. And sadly, the crowd didn't catch on. You think, oh, maybe they got it. Maybe they realized what he was saying, but actually they didn't. Because in verses 30 to 33, we see those evidences there. The crowd challenges Jesus. We want a, a bigger miracle. We want to see something new and bigger and greater. We want to see a greater miracle than that great feed that you gave us just yesterday on that mountainside. Do a greater miracle. Do a miracle that's on par with Moses. How about that? After all, didn't Moses feed all of Israel for six days a week, for 40 years with bread from heaven? You can imagine the conversation, can't you? And in their lack of understanding and knowledge, they had missed one crucial thing. <clears throat> Moses feared God, if you look at verse 33. Moses feared God, but Jesus is the Son of God. Moses feared God, yes, but Jesus is the Son of God. Look down to verse 49 for a minute. Jump down the passage. It says this, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and what? They died. And now contrast that with verse 58. This is the bread of life that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread from heaven will live forever. Could there be a clearer contrast? The bread Moses provided was temporal and satisfied them temporarily. But this bread that stood in front of them, Jesus, as he's going to tell us in just a moment, when he says, I am the bread of life, well, he will and does satisfy us eternally. And so we might be tempted to look down on the crowd at this moment and think, and stick up our noses and think, wow, those guys, they have really not seen what is going on here. But we have to ask ourselves the question, do we question God's ability sometimes too? They're saying, do a greater miracle and then we will believe. Do we question his sovereignty, his power, his authority over our life when we don't know what's next? And we can get so anxious about that. Do we sometimes forget who we serve and who's in charge? Do we see a miracle or a blessing in our life one day and then in the next, we're like the crowd. Lord, just do one more miracle. Supply me with one more blessing and then I will really trust you. Don't be too quick to look down on the, the crowd here because their ways are often our ways too. And so Jesus says in verse 32, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The crowd didn't completely understand what Jesus was saying. But they understood something, didn't they? They understood the bread they really wanted didn't come from Moses. It came from God. They understood that. And they understood that he was talking about something a little more 
beyond the material. But they knew no more than this, and so led with their chins and asked this question in verse 34, Sir, give us this bread always. So now Jesus had them exactly where he wanted them, didn't he? And he speaks clearly in verse 35, I am the bread of life. They say, give us this bread always. And then here he stands and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What a statement. He is our sustenance. Apart from him, in this life, nothing satisfies us. Well, there may be things that you say, well, they satisfy me, but they're only temporarily. They're only temporal things that satisfy you. But the thing and the only thing that satisfies us eternally is Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this, I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. What was he saying? You can have the greatest meal, but you'll be hungry soon after. You can play the best football game and be at the top of your game, but you'll follow it up with another game. You can wear the fanciest clothes, but do you know what? Next year, you're probably going to go and buy new ones. But the bread of life satisfies. There is nothing before him. There is nothing needed after him. He satisfies our soul forever. Nothing in this world will satisfy us like he does. And in verse 36 to 47, Jesus lays out all the mysteries of his grace. He says, I'm the bread of life, and now look what I can do, Okay. Let me just walk through them very, very quickly. We are safe in his hands. Verse 37, what a promise. Verse 38, he will accomplish all that the Father has sent him to do. 39 and 44, he will raise his children up on the last day. And then verse 40 and 47, he will give eternal life to everyone, anyone who looks and believes in the Son. And then in verse 51 and 53, we have the strange statements of Jesus. Ones that the Jews asked questions of. Ones many people over the last 2,000 years have debated about. We're not here to look at them in detail tonight. But Jesus says this. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52 The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You can just see their misunderstanding, can't you? Totally misunderstood what Christ was saying here. And they were shocked at the suggestion from Jesus of a life of cannibalism. That's what they thought. What was Jesus talking about, though? Are we really to drink his blood and eat his flesh? Let me use James Montgomery Boyce. You'll know that name, American Reformed theologian. Let me use him to answer the question. He does it uh, quite cutely, really, here. Is he as real to you spiritually as something you can taste or handle? Is he, I mean, by he, it's Jesus, is he as much as part of you as that which you eat. Do not think me blasphemous when I say that he must be as real and as useful to you as a hamburger and french fries. I say this because although he is 
obviously far more real and useful than these. The unfortunate thing is that for many people, he is much less. And so, no, we don't eat and drink his literal flesh and blood. But we do need to know him and that real and substantial way of knowing him in our life. The bread also speaks of something that is absolutely indispensable. They hit the nail on the head in that video, didn't they, those girls? It is absolutely indispensable. And in the, tw- in the first century, 2,000 years ago, this would have hit home. As soon as he talked about bread, it was just the staple of their meals. And so Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And as they listened, they would have realized that. And the fact it It wasn't just a staple of their life, their meals. But it would have been difficult for anyone in that day and age to live or to conceive of life without bread. That's how serious, that's how fundamental and indispensable it was. With that in mind, it's difficult for us to conceive a life without Christ, isn't it? What if there were no Christ? How would that change your life? Well, the crowd couldn't comprehend all that Jesus had said. And they said in verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Who can listen to it? You see, Jesus knew that they were grumbling. Of course he did. Whether he heard it or whether he just knew it because of his divine nature, knowing everyone's heart, we were not sure. But he knew He knew they were grumbling about all he had said. He knew that they were grumbling about all that he claimed to be. And so with a final right hook in his sermon, he uses this strong but important phrase, this this paragraph from the second half of verse 62 onwards. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are the spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. What do we see here at the end of John chapter 6? Well, we see a crowd that has a hard heart, right? How many times in this passage does Jesus show them and tell them exactly who he is. And yet here we have a crowd who have a hard heart. They get something of who he is, but not it entirely. Like their eyes are sort of half open to who he is. And yet Jesus knew every heart that wouldn't and would believe. And he knows that today. And he tells them straight that salvation is only granted by the Father in heaven. Nothing we can do. All through the Son. All through the bread of life. And yet 2,000 years later, we're here. Some have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That the Lord is the only one who can bring true, true satisfaction. And others, maybe here tonight, have not tasted it yet. But maybe tonight, the Father will grant 
you access. You access. He's calling you to come and taste of his son, taste of his goodness, and taste of that true satisfaction that you'll not find anywhere else. And come into that real and true relationship with him. And so I finish with the last paragraph from John 6. A standout scripture in my life. I love love this dialogue that we see here between Jesus and the disciples. And yet it begins with a devastating reality. Did you see it? Verse 66. After this, so after all that Jesus has said, after all that Jesus has shown them, many of his disciples, that is the crowd, turned back and no longer walked with him. Isn't that heartbreaking? He stood right in front of them. He showed them, he spoke to them, he fed them. He did an amazing miracle on that mountainside. And yet many, many walked away. But here, after that, we have this intimate moment between Jesus and his disciples. And this is where we finish. And here, Jesus says this to his disciples. Do you want to go away as well? No surprise who steps up and speaks, eh? Peter. And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What a profession. And my question when I first did an in-depth study on this passage many years ago and fell in love with it was this. Why is the disciples' response to Jesus, the close disciples, why is it radically different from the response of those who got up and walked away? Why? You say, well, that's a mystery, maybe. And God opens some eyes and, and closes others. Yes, I agree. But is there something more going on here? And I think there is. Why is the disciples' response different? Well, it struck me that something happened. Something happened between feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus' sermon about the bread of life. What was it? He walked on the water. He walked on the water. Jesus walking on the water. Jesus with his disciples allowing Peter to walk on the water. Jesus walking across the water, across a stormy lake with Peter. Jesus stopping the storm with a word. Jesus moving or transporting the boat to the land in the blink of an eye. All of this took place in the evening between the feeding of the 5,000 and the sermon in the temple which we have read tonight. And so the disciples, they had a greater view of who Jesus was. 
Their eyes were a little more open than the others. They had that close, intimate experience with Jesus that night. And they believe in him when he says that he is the bread of life. How could they not? They believe that only in him is full satisfaction and safety. After all, he saved Peter. He stilled the storm. And so they say these wonderful words, Lord, Lord to whom shall we go? And Peter spoke on behalf of all the, other, all the other disciples. You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I finish where I started. What was the purpose of John's writing? He says this, these are written so that you and I may believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? Do you believe that he can satisfy all of your desires? Do you believe you can have life in his name? That's the purpose of the writing. That when we read through John, that we would see Christ and that we would trust him. And if we do, if you do, praise God for the gift of faith and grace and life and satisfaction in Jesus and continue to pray for renewal of mind as we keep looking towards Christ. But tonight, if you don't, how can you leave without knowing and wanting a relationship with the bread of life? How can you not want that satisfaction that only comes from him? He said that anyone who comes to him shall not hunger, and whoever believes in him shall never, never thirst. This is on offer for us tonight. This is a reality for all who trust in him tonight. And may he help us as we continue to look to him. And may he remind us always that he is the bread of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful account that shows us in, in great detail who your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is. Thank you for these I am statements that we read in John. And we thank you that he, your son, is the bread of life. May we know more and more what that really means for us. And may we ever know that in Christ, we are truly satisfied. May we experience that in our life. And for those who do not know Christ, may they come to experience that tonight for the first time. And Lord, may we, as John purposed his writings by the inspiration of you, our Father, may we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And may we believe and have life in his name. And so, Lord, thank you. And Lord, speak into every heart and life this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together as we finish. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. No more appropriate hymn, I suppose, than this at the end of this, end of John 6. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. And so let's stand and let's
rejoice and respond as we sing.